It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. My family and I went down to Galveston Beach and uh, for the day, and we set up chairs, and it was a little windy, and we well, kind of went next to a lifeguard tower, and then uh, Scarlett Eden and I went into the water uh, for a swim, and when we first went in the water, we looked back at the beach, and we could see my parents, we could see Jenny, you know, in their lawn chairs there, and uh, with the uh, lifeguard tower right next to them, but after swimming for about 30 minutes and just playing in the water, all of a sudden, we, we look back, and, you know, I'm looking back to see my parents and see my wife, and I don't see either of them, I just see this other family and you know then I see another different family and there's no lifeguard tower and you know the reality was in that time that we were kind of just swimming for those 30 minutes we had drifted down probably about a hundred yards uh, down the beach uh, and so we were not in anywhere close to the spot that we entered the water. Um, now the reason I didn't see them isn't because you know my parents left it's just you know we were no longer where we were at the beginning uh, and if you ever spent time on the water in a boat or if you ever spent time swimming or surfing or in a canoe uh, I'm sure you have experienced drifting you know if you ever go out fishing and you want to stay in that spot where all the fish are biting you know the thing that you have to do is put down an anchor or your boat's just going to drift away uh, and it's something that is just easily taking uh, place when you're not paying attention to your surroundings and what's going on. You know, Eden, Scarlett, and I, we weren't paying attention to the fact that we were getting pulled down with the current because we were just playing, we're having fun. And when we all of a sudden did pay attention and look up, you know, we were very far from where we started. And so um, drifting for us, it wasn't a big deal. You know, all we had to do is get out of the water, walk down to where we were, and, you know, everything was fine. But, you know, for some people swimming, drifting can be a big deal, especially if the undertow is pulling them out to the deep end. Uh, They're not good swimmers. Uh, For boats, if they don't have their anchor uh, and they're drifting, they could drift into rocks, which could, you know, ultimately stop their boat up there or put a hole in it. And so there are definitely dangers to drifting. And, And the same is true for us spiritually. As Christians, there's a... A lot of important things that you and I need to stay connected to. We need to stay connected to Jesus, connected to the truths of his word, connected to other believers. But you know what? Sometimes we drift away from those important things. We drift away from our connection to Jesus. We drift away from that connection to his word, connection to prayer, connection to other believers. And when that happens, we are in a very dangerous place spiritually. Now, the reason I brought up the dangers of spiritually drifting from Jesus is because that's really the place in which we find the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews. Remember, the big problem that they had was that they were struggling with the thought of leaving Jesus to go back 
to Judaism. And that thinking had caused them to start spiritually drifting away from Jesus. That thinking caused them to, to drift away from the reality of how much they needed that connection with Jesus. It caused them to start drifting to where they used to be back in Judaism. Now, to help these believers, the, the author of Hebrews wants to help them understand the greatness of Jesus, help them understand the foolishness of leaving Jesus to go back to something far inferior to him. And he starts in chapter 1 with giving us wonderful doctrinal truths about Jesus. He shares seven reasons why Jesus is greater than all the prophets of Judaism. And then he shares five reasons why Jesus is greater than the angels. And there's this great doctrine that deals with the greatness of Jesus. And now as we come to chapter 2, the author of Hebrews is going to go from doctrine to warning, from that kind of doctrinal truth to very practical, challenging warning for his readers then and today. And this is really the pattern that we see throughout the book of Hebrews. The author teaches some very important doctrine about Jesus, and almost all the doctrine is about how Jesus is greater than something else. And then after he teaches that doctrine of the greatness of Jesus, he follows it up with a warning, and we're going to see five different warnings throughout this book. A warning not to drift, don't doubt, don't decline, don't depart, and don't despise discipline. Now, the reason the author gives these five warnings is because these are five things that his recipients were struggling with, five things that, that they were dealing with. And so it's like, hey, here's a warning. This is something that you guys are doing and you need to stop. And this morning, we're going to look at the first thing the recipients of Hebrews were struggling with, the first thing that they're being warned about. And it's something that you and I struggle with as well. Don't drift away from Jesus. You know, we can deal with that. We can struggle with drifting from that relationship with Jesus, from the importance of who Jesus is, the greatness of Jesus in our life. And so we need this warning just as much as they did back then. Now, there are many different ways that we can drift from Jesus, different ways that we can drift from His Word, drift from fellowship with other believers. But the author of Hebrews is going to focus on one main area in which the readers of, uh, or the first recipients of this letter were drifting. And that's the fact that they were drifting away from Jesus' salvation through grace alone and faith alone to go back to a law and works mentality of Judaism. They were drifting from that grace-based relationship with Jesus to really go back to a works-based relationship under the law. And that's something that many of us struggle with drifting away with as well. We, 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 you know, we get saved. It's all based on the grace of Jesus. And all of a sudden we drift from that. And we want to relate to him now in a different way. We want to relate to him based off of what we do instead of what he did. And it's not grace. It kind of turns into works. And we need to be very careful of that. And as we're going to see from this warning, it's very foolish. Very foolish to leave what is greater to go to something far less. So let's look at this warning in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. It says this, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. 
For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So the author of Hebrews starts in verse 1 with a, a warning about drifting away. And then in verses 2 through 4, he gives it a specific thing that he's telling these believers not to drift away from. And the way we're going to approach these verses this morning is first we're going to look at some general things about drifting and the problems that arise when you do drift. And then secondly, we're going to look at this specific thing that the author wants us to understand of what not to drift away from. And then third, we're going to answer a couple of important questions concerning drifting. And that is, what causes drifting? What are signs that I am drifting? And then finally, what can we do to stop drifting and get back to where we need to be? And after we look at these important warnings, the important uh, reality of staying connected to Jesus, we're going to finish with remembering what Jesus had to do for us to provide the salvation we sometimes take for granted by taking communion together. So let's start with some general things about drifting that we see in verse 1 says this. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, in this verse, the author is giving two nautical terms, two commonly used phrases by those who you know, would sail boats or operate boats and ships back in that time. And those two phrases are give the more earnest heed and drift away. Now, the readers of the letter would have understood these two phrases were, were typically used by people who were captains of ships or, or people who worked on ships, and, and this was nautical terms that they would use. And so when they read these two phrases, it would have immediately produce a picture in their mind of a boat and of a ship, but really uh, one of danger, the danger of a ship drifting away from uh, the, the safety of the harbor because the captain was not giving earnest heed to the things around him. And that's the picture that the author of Hebrews is seeking to paint for us, that this ship is, is passing by the harbor, drifting past the, the place of safety. And because it's drifted past the place of safety, it's going now into a place of danger and destruction. And it's dangerous because the captain, he has not been paying attention to his course. And that's really what the phrase, give the more earnest heed, is speaking about. It's speaking of paying attention to your course keeping an eye out for danger. And so this is the problem. If the captain is not doing that and the boat is drifting somewhere where it's not supposed to be, problems arise. Now the reason a ship would drift, one reason would be because it's not properly anchored to the harbor. And when the ship is not properly anchored, the currents of the water are going to pull the ship in whatever direction those currents are going. Now in this picture, the author of Hebrews is painting your life is the ship, and you are the captain of the ship who is supposed to give the more earnest heed, to pay attention to the course your life is on, to keep an eye out for the dangers that might be problematic to your life. And the best way you can protect your life is to make sure that you are anchored to the most important thing you can be anchored to, the safest thing you can be anchored to, and that is Jesus. Because when we're not anchored to Him, we're going to drift off into dangerous places. Now notice the author connects that picture that he paints 
with Jesus there in verse 1. And the way that he does that is with the very first word of that verse, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, it should be kind of like a, a flashing arrow that urges you to go back to what the author has just said. Because what the author just said is being connected to what he's about to say. And so whenever you're reading and you see, therefore, what he just said is now connected to what he's going to say. And so it's an always a thing to say, I got to go back and see what he just said, because that's such an important connection here. Well, what the author has just said is how much greater Jesus is than the prophets, how much greater Jesus is than the angels. And so because of how much greater Jesus is and all that doctrine we looked at in chapter one, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. You see, the problem that the recipients of this letter had is they were not giving earnest heed to the things that they had heard and know about Jesus. And because of that, they were beginning to drift away from him, starting in their minds from the fact that their relationship with God is really completely rooted in Jesus, that he is the foundation, that he is the most important thing, that he's greater than everything else. They were losing sight of that, and then they started drifting because of it. They were like a captain of a ship who wasn't taking heed to the dangers of drifting away from the safety of the harbor. But the ship is their life. The safe harbor is Jesus. And the reason they're drifting from Jesus is because they're not taking heed to what they truly know about Him. So the author gives this great warning. If you don't give the more earnest heed, if you don't stay focused on and pay attention to who Jesus is and his greatness and his foundation that he is in your life, you're going to drift away from him. Now, something important to understand about drifting is that it requires no effort. It takes a lot of effort to stay connected to Jesus. You know, there's a lot that we must do to make Jesus the priority of our life, to spend time with him every day. There is an effort to staying connected to him. But you know what? If you do nothing, that's all it takes to drift away. It takes no effort to drift from Jesus. Actually, that is the natural byproduct of doing nothing. Don't do anything. And you think, well, I'll just stay the same. No, you won't. You'll start drifting away from Jesus. It's kind of like being on one of those moving walkways in an airport, but trying to go the wrong direction, trying to go against the direction that the walkway is moving in. Now, there's been times when I'm at an airport where there's a long layover, especially on mission trips, and I'm bored, and, and sometimes I will walk the opposite way because I've walked the whole entire airport and there's nothing else to walk on, and so I'm walking the opposite way down these walkways, and the reality is if you stop, you don't stay where you are. And that's the mindset that we often have spiritually. Well, if I just stop and don't do anything, I'll just maintain. I'll just stay where I am. No, when you stop, you start going backwards. You start getting taken with the walkway towards the direction that you came from. And if you want to move forward, you actually have to move faster than the walkway is moving, or you're just still going to go backwards. And so there's this reality that so often as believers, we recognize, hey, in this world, we're going against the flow. I mean, the flow of this world is completely opposed to Christ, uh, completely opposed to the Word of God. And so we are coming against that. We're going against the flow. And if we stop pursuing Jesus, we stop doing what we need to do to spend time with Jesus and stay connected to Jesus, all it takes is us just stopping 
and the flow of the current of this world, the flow of everything is just going to pull us in the wrong direction. So the author of Hebrews starts with this warning about drifting away from what they heard, from what they know concerning Jesus. And now he's going to give something very specific. Because there's a lot of things that we could drift away from that are important, but he wants to deal with one particular area in which these believers were in danger of drifting away. And he says what that is in verses 2 through 4. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So the author starts off by saying, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast. Now, if you remember from last week, we looked at the wonderful truth that Jesus is greater than angels. And before we even got into that, I wanted to share some things about angels from the scripture just to give you a better understanding of what they were. And so we looked at their nature, we looked at their function. And one of the most important aspects of the function of angels was something that we addressed last week, and that's the fact that they bring revelation from God to mankind. But even more significant than that, as we looked at Galatians and we looked at Acts, it reveals that the the angels were a part of giving the law. So the revelation that the angels were a part of was the revelation of bringing the Mosaic law to the nation of Israel. And so when the author of Hebrews says, for if it was spoken, the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, he's referring to the Mosaic law being given to them. And the law was also something that proved to be steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience against the law receives a just reward, which isn't really the best translation. A lot of your translations speak of just punishment. And that's the reality under the law. Those under Judaism were under the Mosaic law, and the recipients of Hebrews, you know, they're considering going back to this. And so, you know, the author wants them to understand, you, you, you guys are kind of drifting and thinking about, let's leave Jesus to go back to Judaism. And he wants them to understand what that entails, something very important that they would be leaving. He wants to remind them how bad it is under the law versus how great it is under grace, under salvation through Jesus. You see, the law, it's a wonderful thing. But all it is, is God's perfect standard. It reveals God's perfect standard to you and me. But where it falls short for us, it has nothing in its power to help us meet that standard. It can't save us from our failure to meet that standard. So all it is, is really just something that reveals to us, here's God's standard, and as we look at it, we see, I have fallen far short of the perfect standard of God in my life. It can't save me. All it does is show me how guilty I am and deserving I am of the judgment of God in my life. Now, when you compare that to what Jesus did, when you see what we have in Jesus versus what we had under the law, you recognize how much greater Jesus is and what a privilege it is. You see, God knows that you and I can't keep the law. Because he loved us so much, he sent his only son to do it for us. Jesus not only came to be one of us, but he was the only one ever 
to live that perfect sinless life, to actually meet the qualifications and the standard of the law. And after all of doing that, He dies on a cross to pay for the sin that you and I have, to pay for the times that we broke the law. And the way that you and I receive that salvation from God is putting our faith in Jesus, putting our faith in what He did for us, we don't receive it because you know we do some great work for God. We just receive the great work that God has done for us. So salvation is not based on works. It's based on faith and grace. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And this is one of those things that, you know, I think the the recipients of this letter are starting to lose sight of. Hey, wait a second. Your salvation is based off the grace of God and faith in Him. It's not of works. It's not like it was under the law and trying to do, do, do in order to uh, obtain and meet the standard of God. You couldn't do it. So Jesus did it for you. And by His grace, He has granted to you that perfection that He accomplished. And He paid for the, the fact that you and I have failed so miserably. And He took the judgment that we deserve. And He just graciously offers it to those who willingly receive it through faith. But to say, you know what, I'm going to give up that grace-based relationship, and I'm going to head back to the law-based relationship, to the works-based relationship. The author wants the Hebrews to understand and us to understand how foolish that would be. For if the word spoken through angels, speaking of the law, proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience against the law receives a just reward, here's the warning. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, as we look at this warning, it's important to remember who the warning is written to, because some people, as they read through uh, Hebrews, they kind of miss this reality. Hebrews is not written to unbelievers. It's written to those who have a genuine faith, a genuine belief in Jesus Christ. It's written to believers who were struggling struggling because of persecution, struggling with the thought of of maybe going back to Judaism would relieve some of these uh, struggles that we're going through, but they had a genuine belief in Jesus. They were truly saved. And notice the author, who is also a genuine believer, includes himself in this warning. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's including every person who is a believer in Jesus and saying, hey, this is a problem for anyone who trusts in Jesus. Now, an important word in this warning to not miss and lose sight of, because some people kind of add a word that's not there and miss the word that's actually there. The word that's actually there is the word neglect. The Greek word translated neglect means to be careless with something, to not give it proper care and attention. Notice the word that the author uses is not reject. He says you, you neglect your salvation. You're not giving salvation as proper care. He does not say that you reject your salvation, which would mean you're walking away from it. You're abandoning it. He does not use that term, and that's something that's important to understand, uh, because you know what? You can neglect something and not reject it. You can neglect something important and not reject it. Anybody who's a parent here 
probably recognizes you can neglect your children who you definitely see as important and not reject them. You can neglect them by not giving them the quality time that they need. You can reject them, uh, neglect them in, in different areas, but it doesn't mean that you're rejecting them. It doesn't mean like, well, you're no longer my son or my daughter. I no longer want anything to do with you. Get out of my house. You know, there's a reality that we can neglect things that are important without rejecting them. And, and this is what's going on with these believers and the grace-based salvation that they receive. They're neglecting it but they haven't rejected it because they're believers who've accepted salvation. They're not unbelievers who have rejected salvation. So the warning is don't neglect so great a salvation. And this is something that I love this term here. But before we look at that, I just want us to, to notice don't walk away is not what he's talking about. He's making sure that these are people who are just not giving it the proper attention. Now, he gives us two reasons why this is a problem. Why shouldn't you neglect salvation? Well, he gives one kind of negative side to a reason and then a positive reason as well. And the negative reason is, hey, if you neglect salvation, don't do it because how shall you escape if you do? And the question is, escape what? And this is one, once again, if you look at this as saying, well, well, he's talking about rejecting salvation and he's talking to unbelievers, then people have read into this, well, he's talking about escaping hell. He's talking about, you know, you won't escape going to hell. But remember, he's just speaking of neglecting and he's also speaking to believers. And the author does not give us specifics about what he's saying when he says, you know, you won't escape. Now, it definitely seems within the context that there's some kind of discipline, some kind of uh, judgment from God that you won't escape if you're doing something that's wrong. But I think it's important to note that I personally believe, as do many commentators and biblical scholars, that this is not referring to escaping hell. That the author is not saying if you neglect your salvation, if you're not giving your salvation the proper care and attention that it needs, you're in danger of going to hell. You're in danger of not escaping the flames of hell. Uh, that's not, I believe, what he is saying. It's not a, you're going to lose your salvation if you don't give proper attention to salvation. Jesus already paid the price of our sin. So when we sin, when we neglect salvation, we don't risk going to hell because Jesus paid for those things to save us from that. But you know what we do risk? We risk Jesus' discipline. There's judgment from God upon believers. There's discipline from God upon believers. You know, hey, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. There's a reality that when you're a follower of Jesus and you continue in sin in an area of your life, there's a warning that, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you too much to allow you to continue in that without some kind of Judgment from himself or discipline from himself. And a loving parent's the same way. I love my kids too much to allow them to just live a sinful lifestyle without me bringing the judgment that I possess as a father into their life to try to correct them, to try to change their behavior. And so I can warn them and say, hey, don't do this. Because if you continue this, you're not going to escape my discipline. You're not going to escape my judgment. And I'm saying this to you as my child. I'm not saying you're going to no longer be my child. You're just going to be a disciplined child because I want you to change. I want you to learn. I want you to grow. And so I don't believe this is anything to do with a salvation issue of losing it as a believer, but recognizing when you neglect it, there is 
consequences that you don't want to suffer. Now, I love that the fact that the author says, so great the salvation. That's how he refers to it. He doesn't just say, if you neglect salvation, if you neglect so great a salvation, not just salvation, but great salvation, and not just great salvation, but so great a salvation. William Griffith Thomas wrote this, The phrase, so great salvation, is a striking reminder of what God has provided in Christ. The word so is similar to the instance in the familiar passage, God so loved the world, and expresses an unfathomable depth. You know, when we consider something great, and I want you just to think right now of maybe the the people that you consider great or or things that you consider great, the reality is when, when we view something as great, there's some natural things that happen. One, we, we pay attention to it because we think it's great. We care for it because we think it's great. And we don't neglect it because we think it's great. But when we do not consider something great, or maybe we just lose sight of its greatness, once we did see its greatness and now we've lost sight of its greatness, we have a tendency to then neglect it. And this is one of the problems the recipients of Hebrews had. I think initially they understood the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of salvation, the greatness of what they were given, but they started to lose sight of how great Jesus is, which is why the author is spending all this time showing the greatness of Jesus. They've lost sight of seeing how great the salvation of faith through grace alone, not through works, how amazing that is. And in losing sight of those things, now the natural tendency is to neglect what you once gave your attention to. Because when you see it as great, you give it your attention. But when you don't, you all of a sudden start to neglect it. And it also started them to consider, you know what, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to what we used to have. Because when we, when we don't really recognize the greatness of Jesus, all of a sudden something else seems great again. You, know, you see this with the, the nation of Israel in Egypt. You know, and then they're, you know, delivered from Egypt and Egypt was so horrible and they were slaves and they were, you know, it was miserable. They're crying out to God. God delivers them. They go into the wilderness and things don't go as planned. Certain things are hard. And all of a sudden they have this fond memory of this horrible experience as slaves. Oh, it was so great back in Egypt. What are you talking about? But, but they have this, you know, thought that, man, under slavery wasn't that great. Let's go back to that. Wouldn't it be so nice to go there? And in the same way, we sometimes look with fondness back at the old life. Jesus saved us, delivered us. We were having such a better place in life than we ever have under Him and our relationship with Him. And we can kind of look back because we miss the greatness of Jesus in a relationship with Him. And we just look back in, in fondness to what we had before. And it's a dangerous thing to do. And that's what they're doing with Judaism. So right after the author describes salvation in these powerful words, so great a salvation, he wants to just express even more reasons why it's great. And he shares three reasons in verses 3 and 4. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And so here the author just throws out three reasons. You know, we could probably lift a hundred of them through scripture, but he just, here's three why salvation is so great. The first reason salvation is so great is because it comes to us from none other than the Lord Jesus himself. 
He says, salvation at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Hey, Jesus is the one who delivered it. You know, the law was given through angels, but man, this was given by Jesus himself. I mean, how much better can you get than that? You can't. The second reason salvation is great is because eyewitnesses confirmed it as true. Salvation was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And so those who had heard him and had seen him, these were eyewitnesses declaring it, which just gives more validity to the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be. But you know, the greatest eyewitness of all, the greatest one who confirmed it, are not the people on this earth who saw Jesus. It is the Father in heaven. God himself confirmed the message of the gospel, and he did it, we're told, by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God also bearing witness of salvation, both with signs and wonders and various miracles, and gift of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. And we see these wonders and these signs and these miracles in the life of Jesus that revealed who He was, but it didn't just stop when Jesus stopped. When Jesus rose from the dead and went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to those who believe in Jesus, and so it has continued. These signs, these miracles continue to reveal this wonderful truth of the salvation that Jesus brings. So we truly have been given so great a salvation. And we need to be careful not to lose sight of that. Not to lose sight of how great it actually is. Because when that starts to happen, we can drift from the truth that's such a foundation to what we believe. So the author of Hebrews gives this important warning A warning to give earnest heed to Jesus, earnest heed to the salvation through grace that He has provided, and a warning to stay anchored to Jesus in the relationship of grace that He gives. Because if we don't, we'll drift away from Jesus, and we will not escape the discipline of the Lord. You know, drifting from Jesus is a serious problem. It's a problem that I'm sure many of us have struggled with in our Christian life, and perhaps some of you presently right now are struggling with. And and because this is a problem that we all deal with, I want to answer three very important questions for us as we try to put these truths into practice. And those questions are, what causes drifting? Because if we don't know the cause, then we're not going to know how to fix it. Second, what are the signs that I'm drifting? And third, What can we do to stop drifting and get back to where we need to be? So let's start with the question, what causes drifting? And I think it's very interesting that in verse 1, the author of Hebrews gives us an answer to this question. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. You know, one of the main things that causes drifting is not giving earnest heed to the things you know about Jesus. Don't focus on Jesus. Don't pay attention to him. Don't give time to him. Don't spend time in his word. Don't spend time personally in prayer. You know, you don't give heed to Jesus. And that is one of the greatest things that will cause you and I to drift from him. It's one of the main things that causes us to drift from Jesus is neglecting time with him and also not doing what he tells us to do. Well, that leads to the second question I want us to answer. What are signs that I'm drifting? I think there's many signs that you could see in your life that reveal that you're drifting from Jesus, but I just want to highlight three common signs 
that I think will reveal to you you're drifting from Jesus. The first sign that you're drifting is when you've stopped growing in your spiritual maturity. I want you to look at your life right now. And I want you to look at what it was six months ago, what it was a year ago, what it was two years ago. And if where you're at right now is no different than where you were six months ago spiritually, no different than where you were a year ago spiritually, that's a problem. Something's wrong. If things are going right, if you're spending regular time with Jesus, you will continue to mature. You will continue to grow spiritually. And so if you can look at your life right now and say, you know what, I'm no more mature spiritually than I was a year ago, that's a problem. There's something wrong going on. And even worse than that, if you can say, you know what, I was more spiritual six months ago than I am today. I was more spiritual a year ago than I am today. I was more spiritual five years ago than I am today. If that's the reality, then there's even a bigger problem, that you're going the wrong direction. You know, you're going from maturity to immaturity when it should be I'm going from immaturity to maturity spiritually. So a lack of spiritual maturity reveals you're, you're, you're drifting from Jesus because the bottom line is if you stay connected to Jesus, you spend time with him on a daily basis, you will just naturally grow spiritually. You're going to become more spiritually mature as you give that time to Jesus and stay connected to him. So the second sign that you are drifting is the old sinful things you used to be doing before you got saved are being reintroduced into your life. If you see in your life that you're drifting back to things that Jesus delivered you from, things that really kind of, you know, hey, this is how people would describe you before you accepted Christ, Describe your behavior, describe your attitude, describe the, the words that come out of your mouth, describe the things that you did. If you can see that those things are coming back into your life, those things that you have had rid from your life, now it's coming back into your life, that's a pretty good sign that you're drifting back to the things that you should no longer go back towards. If you're spending time with bad influences that God had helped remove out of your life, if you're watching things that God helped you stop watching, if you're speaking in ways that God helped you to stop speaking, if you're acting in sinful ways that God helped you remove from your life, if you're somehow rebuilding what God has destroyed, brick by brick, putting back these things that God took out of your life, it's a sign that you are drifting from Jesus. The third sign that you're drifting is a lack of fellowship with other believers. You know, if you're doing well with Jesus, you're going to want to be with other people who follow him. If you love Jesus, you're going to love serving the body of Christ. If you love Jesus, you're going to love spending time with those who love Jesus. And so if there's within you a lack of desire to be around other people who are believers, if you neglect coming to church, neglect fellowshipping with other believers, that's a sign that not, oh, I got an issue with believers it's a sign that I got an issue with my relationship with Jesus because if my relationship with Jesus is doing good, I'm going to want to serve. I'm going to want to be with other believers. I'm going to want to make that a priority in my life. And so if you find yourself neglecting that, that's another definite, clear indication that you're probably drifting a bit from Jesus. The final question I want to answer is what can we do to stop drifting and get back to where we need to be. And I think Jesus gives a wonderful answer to that 
to the church that he writes to, the church of Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. You know, the, the church in Ephesus has a very similar problem to those who are being uh, receiving this letter of Hebrews. The church in Ephesus, their problem was they left their first love, their first love being Jesus. The recipients of Hebrews, they are drifting away from their first love, Jesus. Both have issues. Ephesus, they've already gone. The Hebrews, they're about to get there. They're, they're drifting and, and they're going to be walking away, leaving their first love. And so what Jesus challenges the church in Ephesus to do is a great challenge also for the church that's there, uh, that's be reading this letter and for us today. And there are three things that Jesus says to do. Three things if you've left your first love, three things if you're drifting away from your first love in order to get back to that relationship with Jesus. Remember, repent, and repeat. So the first thing you need to do if you have drifted from Jesus is you need to remember from where you have fallen. Remember what you left so you can get back there. And this is the reality, because hopefully there's been a time in your life, because if you're drifting from Jesus, you can only drift from him if you had that connection at some point. So remember what it was like when you used to give that time regularly to Jesus. Remember the times of prayer. Remember being in his word. Remember you know, devoting time to him every day. Remember what it was like, because you're not there now. You've drifted from it, and you need to remember back to what you used to do when Jesus was the priority of your life, and you need to remember it so that you can get back to those things that are so important. The second thing we need to do is repent. Now, the word repent means to change direction. Oftentimes, we confuse repentance with sorrow or being sorry. But feeling sorry doesn't mean that anything actually changes. You see, oftentimes, we can feel sorry for getting caught, but not actually change the thing that we were caught for. And so there's a difference between being sorry, which is more of a, a feeling, than repentance, which is an action of changing direction, of stopping what you're doing and doing the opposite. And so when Jesus says repent, he's not to say, you know, you guys need to feel bad. Feel bad that you're drifting from me. No, I want you to change direction. You're drifting, you need to come back. And that's the part of repentance. Stop doing what you're doing that's wrong and start doing what is right again. When we drift away from Jesus, usually the problem is something has come between us and him. And it's never on his end. He hasn't done something that has caused us you know, to not spend time. It's usually our sin. There's a sin in our life that has hindered that relationship. And it's that sin that has to be addressed. We have to repent of it. And until we do, we're not going to have that relationship restored in the way that we need it. And, and you know... It can be a lot of things that get in the way that can be that hindrance. It could be another relationship. This is so common. My relationship with Jesus isn't good because I've elevated another relationship to a priority status that is above his. And that could be fine, like in the sense of like, it could be good relationships, like a relationship with a spouse or a relationship with children or a relationship with family. None of those relationships are bad, but they become bad if they become a greater priority than the relationship you have with Jesus. And then there's other relationships that are just sinful. 
Now, you know it, that you're in a relationship with some ungodly person and you're infatuated with them and you know you shouldn't be with them, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to continue with that. I don't care. And it's hurting your relationship with Jesus. It might be your job. You got sucked into working so hard to try to advance your career that your job is now a greater priority in your life than your relationship with Jesus is. Now, God wants us to do an excellent work at our job, but He never wants our work to become more important than Him. It might be disappointment. I'm sure all of us have struggled at some point in time in our Christian life with being disappointed with where our life is at or disappointed with where we feel that God should have done something that He didn't or whatever it may be that you feel God let you down and now I haven't been spending time with Him because there's a disappointment in my life and realize, you know what? God's never let me down. And I have to come to that recognition of how much He loves me and, and the true relationship I have with Him. But whatever it is that can come between you and your relationship with Jesus, we need to repent, change direction, and get back to following Him in the way that we should. And the third thing we need to do is repeat. Jesus says, do the first works. Speaking of the works that you used to do when you first got saved and first fell in love with me and first were spending time with me all the time, go back and repeat that. Because those are the things that you stop doing. And it's a natural thing where we stop doing what keeps us close to Jesus because we've done it for a long time. And I see this more so in people who have been walking with Jesus for a while than I do often in people who are new believers because the new believers are just hungry and there's, you know, oh, I just want it, I want it, I want it. But, you know, after you've been reading the Bible and maybe read through it several times and, you know, you kind of have this time with Jesus for so long, we can kind of drift, maybe even not knowingly realizing why I have a good relationship with Jesus is because I spend so much time with Him. And then we stop spending that time regularly. It's not that we stop altogether. What was a daily thing becomes a weekly thing. And then what is a weekly thing is an every other week thing. And then maybe it's once a month thing. And you know we still have all that Bible knowledge from the years past. But we don't realize the thing that kept us so close was that daily relationship. And we're trying to live off the past relationship and it doesn't work and we're just drifting and drifting and those are the times where we drift so far before we even realize it because we had so much knowledge of God so much of the benefits of a relationship in the years before that we're missing the fact that man the thing that made me so close was that time with him every day I need to repeat that stuff I got to get back to doing what kept me so close, what got me into that deep relationship to begin with. And so if you've neglected those things in your life, repeat them, get back to them, go and do them again. Robert Robertson, I'm sure you don't know the name, but he wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, a wonderful hymn. He got saved at 17. At 21, he became a pastor of a church in Cambridge in England. And at 23, he wrote that hymn, famous hymn now, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But you know, it would be great if he just could continue to say at 30 he did this, and at 40 he did that, and 50 he did that. But it was just a few years in his mid-20s that all of a sudden he started to drift from Jesus, started to compromise in his life, and he walked away from ministry. And it was a couple years after that, he was on a train and he met a woman reading the hymn that he wrote, Come Thou Fount. She has no clue who he is. She's reading this hymn and she gives it to him, wanting his thoughts on it because she's so blessed by it. And she asks him to read it and give his opinion. 
And he tries to avoid her question. But then he's convicted by the Spirit of God and he breaks down and confesses that he is the author of this hymn. He confesses that he has walked away from Jesus, that he's drifted from him, that he hasn't been living for him. And the woman points to the very first verse he written, which says, streams of mercy never ceasing. And she says to him, streams of mercy are still flowing for you. And in that moment, he's just broken and he just confesses and repents and rededicates his life to Jesus. He gets back into ministry and the Lord uses him in powerful ways. But he drifted. But the great news is he was able to come back and God was able to do a wonderful work in his life. And so if you have been drifting from Jesus, remember what you left so you can get back. Repent of your sin and go back to doing what is right and repeat what you used to do before you drifted away. And just watch how God restores you. Watch how He restores that relationship. Watch how things just come together when you give Him the time that He deserves and make Him the priority that He should be. Now the reality is there's only one reason why we can even have this relationship. One reason that you know, this grace relationship is available, that salvation is available, and that is because Jesus Christ, He came to this earth, He gave His life for you and me, He sacrificed Himself on the cross, He took the judgment that we deserve, He made it possible for us to have this so great a salvation. And so I just want to conclude as we've looked at the fact that we can drift away from that, and Jesus Himself tells us, do this in remembrance of me. Speaking of communion, and what's the focus of communion? The cross. My body that was crucified, my blood that was shed, I want you to remember that regularly because Jesus knew, like the people here, we struggle with drifting. We struggle with losing sight of how great our salvation is, how great Jesus is, how great that sacrifice is. And so if we, we don't focus on it enough, we lose sight of it, and then we start drifting when we shouldn't. And so we're going to finish this morning just taking communion together. And as we do that, I just want to encourage you to draw near to Jesus. I want to encourage you just to remember that you truly have so great a salvation. So I'm going to have the, the worship team come on up and I'm going to pray for us. And um, if you didn't grab um, a communion cup when you came in, I want to encourage you, raise your hand now, you can grab one and uh, after the worship team leads us in a song, we're going to partake together. But let's just pray. Father, we are so grateful. So grateful for what you did for us. So grateful that you sent your only son because you love us. We're so grateful that our salvation is a great one. That it's based off of grace and faith not of works that we would do. And I just pray that you would just prepare our hearts as we take time just to remember you, remember what you have done, remember the significance of what it has accomplished for us, that you paid the penalty for our sin, you removed the power of sin in our life, and that one day we won't even have to deal with it anymore when we're with you in heaven. And we are so grateful for your work on the cross for us. And so as we just come to you in worship right now, I just pray that we would just really remember how great our salvation truly is.